0: Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible reading guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby.
1: Afternoon, Matt. Back mm. in the studio and recording another Thrive Deeper. And uh, yeah. we are now moving into the book of Daniel, which I'm actually quite excited about. Oh, yeah. I love How good is it? Oh, yeah. And... Uh, this episode, uh, we are only going to be trying to cover chapters one through to six, which is actually makes a bit of sense, because the book of Daniel is probably divided up into two sort of chunks. Did you say only? Only, yeah, I know. Goodness truck, me, truck Steve. Truckloading <laughs> stuff here. <yeah. laughs> but uh, we are going to cover chapters one to six. One to six kind of covers the entire history of Daniel's time in, in Babylon just from a historical record of mm. the, the big events that happened uh, obviously and in that we're gonna we're gonna hear a couple of the very well-known Bible Bible stories that people would probably know even if they're not you know from a faith background they mm. will have heard some of these stories uh, and then the second sort of half of Daniel or from chapter 7 forward is, mm. is much more around vision. So these two sections don't really go chronologically, they kind of overlap That's to right. some degree yep. as well. So it's important to understand that as we as we jump in here to to Daniel chapter 1 yeah. and this is probably now around 600 BC. Daniel is captive in Babylon, yep. uh, taken back to Babylon earlier with the first siege on the city of Jerusalem, took the nobles and the princes and the, the educated, a, a group of probably 10,000, we're thinking.
0: Uh, probably uh, even a little earlier, actually, when the Babylonians won the Battle of Carchemish, yes. uh, Nebuchadnezzar came down into the area and actually annexed, uh, annexed the, the area. And, and that's probably when he took some of the the nobles, yeah, the key nobles. So these guys are something like hostages. Well, I mean, they're not really. They're, they're not really hostages. They he's just taken some of the best educated of of the people back. back to Babylon. So they are they are exiles, and and I guess this is a little bit. It's a policy to try to keep Judah uh, under the thumb a yep. little bit, right? You know, he finds the best educated of these people because um, Judean society was actually for its time a remarkably literate society. Because of the focus on the word, um, as opposed to uh, images and icons and so forth, a lot went into describal traditions and writing things down. And so uh, archaeologists have discovered from this period and, and, and a lot earlier uh, school materials where where children are learning to to oh, you know right. to write and so, um, it high- highlighting the fact that this that Judean society was you know very highly literate society. So you've got a you've got a fairly well educated, uh, at least. A, a, you know, the upper levels of society, you know, fairly well educated here. So Daniel and his friends are part of, the, it describes them as part of the royal family. that yeah. uh, They've we've pointed out before, they grew up during the time of Josiah. So you think, you know, how, how is it that people yeah. of this level of godliness exist, uh, you know, during the time of Jehoahazanah and these kings, followed, y- followed you know, Jehoi, Jehoi, Jehoiakim yeah. and Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. Yeah. And well, actually these guys grew up uh, during Josiah's revival yeah. in their youngest years. And it's... It's often the youngest years that are most important. Uh, they, they belong to the inner circle, the court, so they were very close to that. And so they carry the seeds of that revival. Actually, even though it didn't have a big impact right. on the people of Judea, they it does it actually the seeds yeah. do have a very big impact. Totally, uh, in in Babylon, become the key to the renewal of the Jewish people uh, mm. in exile. Mm. And so that's really the key to their character, you know, in a sense. And you know, Daniel stands as this great example of uh, of someone who is taken into. A foreign context. Not only that, not only is he taken into exile, but he's taken into a situation where the expectation is that he will assimilate. Yes. Uh, The expectation is that he'll take on uh, a Babylonian way of thinking and particularly uh, the Babylonian religion as well. And, and then
1: as an influential person and a, a yeah. person of royalty, if if they can get him to take that on, he's then going to pass yeah, that that's on right. to the other people who are there and they exile as yeah, well that's and essentially
0: right. expedite that assimilation of the people into mm. Babylon. And so Daniel stands in, you know, in, for for the subsequent history and particularly during the Greek period, you know, this story became very important when uh, for a while, Judaism from uh, about 170 onwards, one seventy. BC BC. onwards, uh, you know, the Greek emperor basically outlawed Mm. Uh, Judaism, you know, the the example of Daniel co- really comes to pro- prominence is probably when the book there's some evidence that the book received its fine, final final uh, editorial shape, right? Um, n- you know, written I think earlier, mm. um, but received its final shape during that period, which probably shows how important it was for Jews during that time. Because what does it look like to live in a hostile world and yeah. to be a faithful? you know, to be a faithful Jew in a hostile world. Well, Daniel becomes the example of that. Mm. And look, I think for us, Jew, you know, Daniel is the supreme example of what it looks like to live as, you know, Peter says in his letter, as aliens and strangers in the world, yeah. what it looks like to be holy, a holy people in a world. So mm. contributing to society mm. and yet being distinct from society. Daniel mm. still to this day stands as the great example totally.
1: of that. Totally. And we're going to see those occasions where he could have, probably quite easily... You know, taking some action to keep himself yeah. uh, safer, but decides that his witness is more important than his safety and yeah. um and we'll, we'll we'll come to that obviously so uh chapter one obviously they get taken back to to Babylon and in fact they get put into a bit of an internship really for three mm. years within the the leadership of of the palace of the royal palace of uh, nebuchadnezzar yeah uh, with the plan that they would be as you say trained up a, a core group of them would be trained up and essentially then be able to influence. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Uh, so they're trained for three years. Yep. Uh, and then they would enter the king's service. Now, uh, it says, verse 8 is the key, you know, key verse. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So the concern there for Daniel everything else fine. I mean, you know, he was happy to learn the Babylonian. There's nothing wrong with that. He was happy to learn, read their books and and do all of that sort of stuff. Mm. But participating uh, in the food from the king's table, it it meant, you know, potentially eating food, particularly meat that was not kosher, Mm. uh, that was, you know, that was unclean and probably also food that had been dedicated to, to to, uh, offered to idols, particularly the meat, the sacrifices. Mm. So, what he wants to do is just eat vegetables. Mm, and, yeah. and actually, uh, Jews in the diaspora, many Jews in the diaspora to this day uh, are, are, are vegetarian. And in fact, Paul uh, refers to that in Romans chapter 14 when he talks about the different scruples, Jewish scruples around food. And he refers to the fact in the Roman context that some Jews just eat vegetables. Yeah. And this is following the example of Daniel even hundreds of years later, they're still following this example as a way of avoiding eating unclean food. Yeah. So this, for for Daniel, this is the way of, for him- Setting himself e- apart. Setting himself uh, apart. Now- Just before you go, go on, though, I think one other
1: key thing to point out is that, that once they got to Babylon, the, the chief official decided to give them different names. And again, that's oh, yes. yeah, yeah, because their original names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah were names that meant something in terms of the god of- yeah, of, of the Jews uh, You know Daniel is God As my judge Hananiah is the Lord Shows grace Meshach is who Is like God And Azariah The Lord helps Two Their new names Belteshazzar, Which was Daniel Which was Bel Who was a, 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 a Babylonian God mm. Would protect his life Shadrach Which was under the command Of Aku A moon god mm. Meshach Who was like Aku A question And Abednego Servant of Nago Or God of learning So essentially Even from the point Of naming them, they're trying to uh, yeah. create this this assimilation yeah, into the Babylonian right. culture and, and
0: gods. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a change of name is a real change big of identity. Thing, totally. So that's a big, uh, yeah, that is big a big thing. thing. Now, the official isn't keen on this because no. it's really important that these, you know, these kids are healthy. I mean, they're mm. quite young, mm. uh, young men at this stage and and so he just he doesn't want to get in trouble so i mean the interesting thing is that what daniel then does is he goes to the guard and he probably thinks look uh, the guard will go for this as long as as long as we can show that we're still healthy I mean, the guard can go for this because he probably got the meat. He probably took it home to his family. <laughs> well,
1: that's probably true too. <laughs> you know, yeah.
0: And so, I mean, it's interesting. So, so the guard is willing to give this a shot, you know, while the chief, the, the main official uh, is not keen. Mm. The guard uh, says, yeah, 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 okay. And probably quietly takes the food home. So, I mean, the interesting thing then is that essentially this is done in secret. Yes. Like no one knows this. This isn't a public show mm. of piety. No. Yeah. Um, this is, this is, You know, Daniel just quietly giving all of this luxurious aspects of the food to the guard who takes it home, gives it to his family. No one knows about this, Mm. uh, but this is just between Daniel and his friends and God. And God. Yeah, exactly. I mean, wow. And
1: and then at the end of it all, they actually looked better and healthier. Yeah, that's uh, right.
0: Whether that's because they only ate
1: vegetables, whether because God obviously intervened and kept them looking healthier and better, but yeah.
0: water and vegetables. Yeah, well, uh, well, I mean, I think what the text is is wanting to show is that by God's blessing, yeah. they were healthier. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, I think, what the text is, is highlighting. And also by God's blessing, they ended up uh, being smarter and wiser than all of the other people that were in the intake, yeah. the training intake yeah. with them. Uh, so, verse 17, God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand dr- uh, visions and dreams of all kind. Mm. Now, um, in in ancient culture, to understand dreams is seen as, you know, you've got to have some connection with the, with the, the gods, the gods mm. to do that. So, mm. uh, understanding dreams and visions is a way of, you know, uh, showing your... Uh, you know your sense of superior spirituality yeah. in that you know in that culture, which brings us to chapter two, which talks about ne- Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He calls his astrologers in to interpret the dream. Uh, says, you know, you've got to tell me both the dream, the dream, and the interpretation, because I don't want anyone pulling the wool over my eyes. Uh, verse ten: The astrologers answered the king, "There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks." Uh, no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Mm. Um, Probably uh, a reasonable kind of thing to state, too, to be quite honest.
1: You know, oh, no, that's right. Not absolutely. unreasonable to yeah. say. I can't tell you. If you tell me what you dreamed, I can maybe interpret it for you. But if you're yeah. not even willing to tell me what the dream is… I don't even know where to begin, you know? Yeah, so. that's
0: right. And and I mean, this is interesting in the light of Ezekiel, because one of the repeated promises in Ezekiel is, I will be with my people, I will be among them. You know what I mean? So yes. God is actually promi- promising to be among his people. And the interesting yeah. thing is, even in exile, he is among his people, mm. in, in a sense. So... Uh, obviously, uh, Daniel is. A, so, I mean, he condemns all of the, all of his wise whole staff, yep. all of his wise men yep. to death. This includes Daniel and of mm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm. So, when the officials are coming to put them to death, uh, Daniel more or less says, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Let's just tell me what this is all about, <laughs> yeah. you know, yep. before you drop the sword on my head. And so, you know, he, it says that, you know, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. And so you see, you see the his wisdom here and he says, uh, I, I will, you know, I'll, I'll interpret this. Give dream. me some time. He yeah, says, give, me some, give me some time, you know, uh, so that I can uh, try to interpret the story. Yeah. Uh, then in verse 19, it says, During the night, uh, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then, then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He un- he understands uh, because he says to his friends, Pray, Pray to God for me. So this is not, uh, the contrast here is this is not Daniel, you know, leaning on sort of innate abilities that he has. Uh, it's very clear from the text that God enables him to do this. Yes. Now, one of the things through this, Stu, that is worth highlighting, and I really noted this in reading over this in one big lot. A big theme through these chapters is God's sovereignty over everything. Mm-hmm. Like even in exile, yeah. so here is this: people have been taken into exile; they're, you know, an unimportant people, captives in a foreign land. the The message that really ramps up, and you see this in Ezekiel to some extent. But here it really ramps up in Daniel. Uh, You see this theme of God's sovereignty over all the nations. And really throughout this book in many ways, uh, this comes out. So, you know, it says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion, Daniel, back in 1 verse 9. yes, yes. 1 verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding, right? It's all highlighting what God does. And then when God reveals the, the vision, the, Daniel's psalm, let's call it, yes, uh, really sums up the message, actually, of, of quite a lot of this book, actually. Yes. Yep. Uh You know, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He mm. changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells in him. You know, he is dec- that's really the message of the book of Daniel. Yes. Yeah. Uh, all of those things. God is across everything. Yeah, that's and right. And
1: then a really interesting happens. thing happens. Daniel goes straight to the guard, Ariok, who was or the executioner who was coming yeah, in, and yeah. says, don't. Don't kill the other wise men, you know. Now, there was probably an opportunity there for Daniel to go, well, I've got the answer, but go ahead <laughs> and right. kill the other guys. But he didn't,
0: you know. The first thing he yeah. says is
1: don't kill everyone. That's, you know, well, and, that's and an you know, he, thing. He,
0: he gets some grief from the other guys as well yeah. in the future. Yeah, well later, you know? exactly. Yeah. It's like they weren't all that grateful. <laughs> and and but, this is this idea that not only is he blessed, but he's blessed to be a blessing. blessing. And so he actually saves everyone else. Mm. You know, this is this idea of the one righteous man that saves the whole... City, so to speak. But you as know, you say they they then you know came back and stabbed
1: him in the back. Later, we'll come to that. Yeah. But uh, and he
0: makes explicit, you know, here again this point in yep. chapter two, verse twenty seven. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, no man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked right. about. Yeah. But he says there is a God in heaven who reveals mystery, mystery. So he points to God. He, he's not. This is not about him. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he then goes on to say he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen mm-hmm. in these days to come. And so, and, and he even says, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that, I mean, Everything he points should be, to God. you'd yeah, think totally. he'd be taking this moment like to big note himself. And yep. this is a, this is a chance for promotion, but his humility here mm. is just remarkable. Totally. You know, yep. it's just not me. It's not nothing to do. It's just, it's just God is doing this. Anyway, in summary, um, you know, is the the dream is about this statue and it's got these, you know, different materials. Um, you know, the head of gold and and silver and iron and so forth. And it basically it's predicting the next kingdoms to come. The head
1: the head of gold was the current That's kingdom right. of Babylon. Yep. And then chest and arms, which were made from silver, were Medo-Persian Empire, which uh, was sort of from 539 to 331 BC. Then the belly and thighs, which were made out of bronze, were the Grecian Empire, 331 to 146. And then the last part, legs and the feet, which were a mix of iron and clay, were the Roman Empire,
0: 146 to 476 AD. There are some scholars that want to say that the Last Kingdom is a sort of another um, incarnation of the Greek Empire, so post Alexander. Okay, but doesn't it doesn't really make sense because it's not a different empire; it's no. still a Greek Empire. Yeah. And yeah. and they basically say that because it would involve predictive, you know. Because I think I think they want to say that you know this was added during the final edit, you know, right. and to make it sort of look good. But you know, again, this is prophetic. Uh, this is prophetic literature, so there's no reason to doubt that. Uh, and it seems very clear that it's talking about Rome. So you know I mean he he really this is this dream is a uh, is showing the kingdoms to come but uh, importantly uh, it says in the time of those kings and and he's talking about the time when there's going to be a brittle uh, em- like a brittle empire mixture of iron and clay right. yeah there's any guess what that is but you know possibly uh, possibly the kingdom in the last days, you know, whatever whatever that means, or in the present age or something, yeah. Yeah. because it says uh, in the in the t- time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never yep. be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but uh, it will itself endure forever. And this, of course, is the kingdom of God. Yes. So this is referring to something that Jesus ushered in uh, in the time of those kings, so in the time of the Roman Empire. Uh, and then, you know, it's this kingdom that will last forever, yeah. uh, that comes to culmination after the fall of the last kingdom, mm. the, the iron and clay, uh, that that really uh, comes into its own during that period. So this is, you know, I mean, this is remarkable. This is world history in, in a nutshell. Yes. That, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, but God's revealed him the dream so that it can be shown to Daniel. You know, yeah. you sense that God is speaking to Daniel and the Jews through the king. He's going to use King Nebuchadnezzar as the sort of uh, tool through which his revelation uh, is going to come. And then it says that, you know, Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Because he thinks he's, he's some kind of god. Yeah, I mean that's right. And, yeah. and the king said to Daniel, "Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and a revealer of mysteries." And that again, that's the story you know, of the of, message of, of Daniel. Daniel. Yeah,
1: and of course that doesn't mean necessarily that Nebuchadnezzar decided to stop worshiping other gods. It simply says he's re- relating to Daniel that your God's clearly yeah the
0: greatest, the greatest of the, greatest gods. Of the yeah, gods. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The the next uh, the next story is the famous story about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So Well first uh, of all there's the gold statue, isn't it, that Nebuchadnezzar builds. Yeah, that's right. And maybe, you know,
1: I mean Maybe he's trying to make sure that the statue isn't just a golden head; but yeah, the whole thing's right. gold. And <laughs>
0: yeah. that way, he's good for a long time. Yeah, yeah you sort of wonder what's <laughs> yeah, going on in response to this vision. Is this related yeah. to that? I mean, yeah. it seems to be. It seems to be related. I think, oh, mate, come on, like seriously. Yeah. And anyway, so somehow he can change you know, yeah. the plan. So he sets up this statue, and and you know, there's this proclamations that all people of all nations, and and there's a lot of nations part of the Babylon Empire, mm. have to worship this. Uh, of course. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the other Jews don't. And and there are plenty of astrologers that come forward during this time that are willing to denounce the Jews. And some of these are people that he saved just previously, yeah. whenever that was, by not having all the wise men put to death, because That's right. I can interpret the dream. Now they're yeah. coming back. And and, accusing- and probably because Remember it says at the start that these guys have greater wisdom than, than all the rest so God is blessing them and giving them greater wisdom than the other astrologers yes. or, or wise men and so there's jealousy, a jealousy thing totally. which is a you know this this consistent theme yeah. through scripture that God blesses his people they become quite powerful and that really you know, yeah. react against that and become yeah. jealous and uh, so they denounce the Jews uh, particular Me- in particular Shadrach Meshach and Abednego yeah. And, you know, there's this, you know, classic moment where uh, he, you know, that they have to be cast into this uh, blazing furnace. Explicitly, you know, the question is asked, then what God will be able to rescue from my hand, you know, and to which Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego reply, this famous reply, you know, "King King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your Majesty. That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up.
1: So important. I don't think the "if not" there is about doubt. I think the "if not" is we're going to be faithful to our God regardless of where they.
0: Well, there's some, there's some, you know, there's some debate over this actually. It's interesting because one way of translating the in verse seventeen mm. is. If we are thrown into the furnace, and if the God we serve is able to deliver us, mm. I mean, I listened to some some lectures on this recently, actually, and and I read through some commentaries, and and there are some, you know, interpreters that suggest that part of their piety here, because remember they've been taken into exile, that itself for them is a crisis of faith. You right. know, how could God let this happen? And this story is actually God, you know, responding to them. So. There are a lot of commentators that like the idea, the translation. You know, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, and if our God is able to deliver us, He will deliver us. They, sort of they proving wanna, the point. Then is yeah, what well, you're well they want to, they want to leave room for the fact that these guys aren't sure if God is able. Oh, right. Yeah, they okay. want because they want it. They want to leave room for the fact that their faith might not be great, but their commitment is hundred percent. But they're saying, but even if He does not, we're not going to serve your gods. Right. Like even if he's not able, so now okay. now obviously now I'm just saying that some some commentators yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, prefer that, but of course our Bible translation, you know, if we're thrown into our, you know, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I think either way, it's just an interesting yeah, yeah. option there. So. Look, they get thrown in. It's so hot, you know. The uh, even throwing the soldiers, yeah, yep. even the soldiers throwing them in get killed. And of course, uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks at the fire and he's astounded because he sees, uh, you know, four people mm. uh, in the mm. flames. Uh, this, uh, and and the fourth person looks like a son of the gods. That's a way of talking, saying a, angel some kind of, some ange- kind of angelic being. Uh, yeah. being. And so you know he's he's amazed, and the, you know they come out of the fire and they're just unscathed by this, and
1: not even smelling smoky. Yeah.
0: And th- and, then, and then and then you know Nebuchadnezzar says, "Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has mm. sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own." you know goes on to say for no other god can save in this way. So yet again you've got this message that God is greater than all the other gods. And, and he issues uh, and a decree that
1: anyone of any people, national language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. His yeah. house made a garbage dump. Yeah. Um, and again, I don't think that that's an indication of, of Nebuchadnezzar necessarily deciding to turn to the God of Israel, but I think yeah. probably more trying to hedge his bets. It's like, well, this God's clearly powerful. Yeah. No one better offend him. Yeah, I'm going to make
0: right. a decree to yeah. make sure that yeah, doesn't that's happen. Right. Yeah. You know. Now, uh, chapter four is interesting, isn't it, Stu? Because yeah, it is. this is uh, written by Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, very interesting, yeah, isn't it? Right here in the middle of the book of Daniel, we mm-hmm. have a whole chapter that's written by a foreign king, and yeah. it's basically his testimony.
1: It's probably a letter he wrote. Possibly, to the whole nation, potentially, or to at least the leadership, like yeah, some kind yeah of that's right, memo for want yeah. of a better word that got sent out to the to the leadership, kind of yeah, yeah,
0: that's um, right, you know, making a proclamation, so and yeah. again, the message of the book of Daniel is contained even in his letter, how great are his signs, mm. how great are his wonders, his kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion dominion endures for generation, generation to generation, generation that's yeah. again the message uh, of Daniel, so he talks about you know he had this dream of a tree. Uh, and of course, he and his kingdom of this great tree—it yep. uh, was an unusual picture for uh, kingdoms, great kingdoms, to be uh, depicted as a big, great tree. You know, reaching the heavens yes. and spreading out and covering the earth, and uh, and so forth. That's quite a common picture, and so you know, his kingdom is is described like this. And but. Also prophesied here is this uh, this idea that you know through pride he's going to be brought down. Um. So the vision goes on to
1: say that a, whole, a holy one would come down from heaven and was ordered to chop the tree down, yeah, leaving only a stump and the roots in the ground, yep. which kind of indicate well it's not complete destruction. There's an opportunity yep. for regeneration here. Uh, then the holy man sort of describes the man a, a man losing his senses and becoming like a wild beast mm. of the earth for seven years, and uh, Daniel had that awkward situation of having to say to Nebuchadnezzar,
0: this is actually you. Yeah, that's right. And 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 you know, Daniel's pretty nervous about sort totally. of declaring this. Yeah.
1: Reminds me of Samuel having to go to David. Yeah. And say, you are that man. Yeah, that's having right. Having told the story and then yeah. say, and you are that man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's right. And you know, Daniel says the decision is announced by messages, the holy ones. Uh, declare the verdict so that, and again, here again, this the message of Daniel is stated so many times throughout this book, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth yeah. and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. This is the message of the book of Daniel, exiled people, where is God? God is everywhere. He's all over this. He's all over everything, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's the key message here. Uh, of course, I think he does get an opportunity, though, because Daniel then kind of so g-
1: goes on to say, as for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored yeah. to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Yeah, Therefore, that's right. may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. But I think it's about a year later, isn't it? Twelve months? Yes, at twelve months later. In fact, the prophecy comes yeah. to pass.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yep, the dreams fulfilled because mm, he's, you know, goes up, uh, up, and you know, upstairs in his royal residence, looks over his kingdom, and he's just filled with a sense of his own one, you know, his own greatness, and I mean. Essentially, it's hard to know what happens here, but he kind of goes mad. Yes, in some. To, to, sorry to mm. use that uh, yeah. old term, but that's how that would have been applied mm. here. Mm. Uh, and he goes out and he lives, you know, you know, eats grass and and lives with the wild animals. Lives with the wild yep. animals, and he's testifying to this, right? And. Yes. He says, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. So it wasn't until he did what Daniel said, Mm. and actually, as he says, renounce your sins by doing what is right. Mm. Uh, It's not until he actually turns to God that his sanity is restored. And it says, then I praise the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. And then again, the message of Daniel comes through. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples on on earth are regarded as nothing. He does what what he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples on on earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, "What you have done." That again, man. The message we we are—we this has been thrown out. This theme again. This is uh, so central to the book of Daniel. So you know, he finishes by saying, "Now I Nebuchadnezzar praise, uh, exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is uh, right, and all His ways are just. Mm. And those mm. who walk in pride, is able to humble." Yeah. Now, to what extent Nebuchadnezzar is really sort of genuine in this? At least he's uh, there. Must have been something if he's really restored. There must have been something genuine here. So here, the conquering king is conquered by the God of those yes. who are conquered. See, and this is important because. In those times when one nation conquered another nation, it was seen that the God of the conquering nation conquers the God of the conquered nation. Right. Right. So here the conquered nation's God has conquered. Has <laughs> <is> conquered. <laughs> That's is that yeah. confusing, Stu. Yeah. Yeah. But he turns like, you know, he acknowledges That's right. Absolutely. Uh, the God of the Hebrew people that are yeah. living in Babylon at the time. Yeah, totally. Not that theirs is the great God. This is mm. his confession mm. even though his god so you know as would have been thought defeated their god yes. he's basically saying no that's not the case he is the greatest god and in fact uh, and the his fact dominion that, yeah, is over all the, nations yeah. and the fact that we defeated the jews was only because their God allowed us to. Exactly, do that. Yeah. because again, He's sovereign over all nations. Yep. That's, this is a message for this people at mm. this time. This is a message mm. from this people from this time who are going to be, you know, you're going to be sandwiched in between the nations uh, of the world. So, you there know, pretty go. profound stuff. Now, as we move into chapter
1: five, important to note that there's been a few kings now between Nebuchadnezzar yeah. and Belshazzar. And in yeah. fact, Belshazzar's a regent king because his dad or grandfather or predecessor, actually spends so much time outside of Babylon that uh, he puts in place Belshazzar as the regent king. But we've had, uh, in a short space of time, I think within about uh, six years, there's about four kings. Yeah, uh, so you've got
0: Nebuchadnezzar 2nd you've got Amul marduk, marduk you've got Nergal Shah yeah, usar you've then, got uh, Labashi-Marduk, and then, and, then and then Nabonidus. Nabonidus. Yeah, B- Belshazzar is Nab- Nabonidus's son. Mm. Um, Nabonidus worshipped a god that wasn't really in favour, and there's some which which uh, the god Shin, which mm. Belshazzar didn't share. That, so I mean, you know, the the interesting thing here is that I mean Belshazzar was in was probably involved in the assassination of the previous king, right? In order to put his father forward uh, as the king, mm. probably thinking my dad's going to because remember he uh, he would become the king after his father, I think yes. his father's aged. And uh, so he seems to be a fairly opportunistic sort of guy. Mm. There's also a story uh, of um, him murdering that there was another guy called Gabiru or something like that, who was an official of the previous king. Yeah, yeah. Whose son was murdered by Belshazzar in just like a hunt because he was jealous in the time of a hunt. right? And and Gabiru ended up actually defecting and going... To the Medes and the Persians, all ah, right, and he's actually the one that comes with the Medes and the Persians to to attack Next, the city right. uh, in, 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 that we're going to see uh, later in this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar was a
1: bit of a, a spiritual reformist as well, but yeah. but for the moon god, I mean, he he yeah. really w- went out in a sense proselytizing. He, he was out of Babylon doing that yeah. a lot of the time, but a very strong believer in Shin, right. the, the the moon god. So, yeah, um, you know it. As we come into the story of Belshazzar, Belshazzar is essentially the ruler put yeah. in place by uh, his dad
0: Nabonidus. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, so there's a great, uh, there's a great, uh, you know, he, sh- he throws this great feast. You know, mm. he's showing off, and he does something that for for Jewish sensibilities. Uh, is completely shocking. He, yep. he you know, D- Daniel elsewhere speaks of an abomination that causes desolation. This is kind of close, you know, this is kind Terrible. of close, because yep. he's having this feast, he's probably drunk, he calls for the sacred vessels that yes. have been that were taken. taken. We read about this at the beginning mm. of the book. Yep. Uh, sacred vessels were taken from the temple. He calls for these sacred vessels to be brought out so that they can eat with them. And this is just shocking stuff, right? Yep. This is an act of desecration. Essentially using sacred things for a party, really, if you want. To put yeah, it in that's our right. Modern day terms, that's right. So uh, as they're doing this, uh, the fingers of a human hand uh, appeared and wrote on the plaster. Now, you know, we have this expression, "the writing is on the wall." It yep. comes from this, yep. uh, this does. Uh, story, and no one can interpret this. So again, uh, they they bring in uh, to cut a long story short. The queen actually uh, brings in uh, in Daniel. Yeah. It's interesting that he kind of makes out that he doesn't know Daniel. Well, probably the the queen might have actually been Nebuchadnezzar's wife. Yeah,
1: who does know Daniel? Yeah, that's but right. Of course, we've had a few kings since, so maybe right. the whole memory of Daniel has faded a little bit. So we'll get we'll give them. The yeah, yeah,
0: that yeah. One. Or he's fallen out of favour yep. a bit, or something. Yep. Uh, and so he interprets it actually, and and basically, uh, you know, it's he's saying, uh, you've been you've been found, uh, you've been wanting. weighed, and you've been found wanting, and mm. uh, and now this very night your kingdom is going to be taken from you. And basically it says your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Like yeah. right now it's being given to the Medes and the Persians. Yes. And it says in verse 30, that very night King Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now, um, there's a bit of history behind this because there's another couple of sources uh, behind this story uh Xenophon a Greek historian and Herodotus the Greek mm-hmm. uh, two Greek historians they both tell the story of what was happening actually outside the walls this very night they talk about there was a great feast on in babylon and this character gabiru he you know leads as, as cyrus's for, forces uh the the persian forces now, uh, Babylon was surrounded by double walls, massive double walls right, right around. It was an impenetrable yeah. fortress. And, yep. and, you know, I mean, B- Belshazzar's feeling pretty secure. But what they actually do is that they go, Cyrus goes up river, and he diverts the water of the river that runs through uh, and ba- under, Babylon, the, wall, the, water under the wall. Under the wall. Yep. He diverts the water uh, of the river. This is the, the uh, Euphrates River. Mm. And so the river level goes down and they actually can walk because the the walls went over the river. Yep. And so they're able to actually march the whole army during the night, while this feast is happening, they march the whole army under the walls, and they basically take the city without a fight wow. and uh, Belshazzar uh, is killed so that's what's happening mm. as all moment. of this is happening yeah. right as he's bringing out the sacred vessels and boasting and um, the, you know the the, wa- the water levels have gone down and uh, and people are ma- and you know the Persian forces are marching under the walls, pretty remarkable bit yeah, of history absolutely. behind that, right, that, that story, Stu is, that is an incredible story. I mean, the lengths that Cyrus went to, like they had to dig massive channels. Like they've got an army working to dig massive channels, basically to empty the Euphrates into else. a, yeah. into a swamp area. Yeah, wow. I mean, this is a massive river, yeah, this is a big river. Ba- basically to empty a river out, mm, mm. man, these guys were determined. Mm. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's how, that's how um, Babylon fell. So it falls to the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. And a new and a new king Darius, a uh, new king Darius, we actually don't know who Darius is. It may be another name for someone else. you know people had had double names mm. uh, here. Look, mm. that matters less for for this mm. but he was uh, a
1: Mede, obviously yep, and uh, that's he, right he, he becomes the ruler of Babylon, sets up a whole new administration uh, Daniel again is promoted to a high position, yeah for whatever reason within this new. Uh, into in this new administration up. well that he, he probably
0: hears of this prophecy.
1: Correct. And, yeah. he, and he and he's probably looked back and heard from people who have respected yeah. Daniel along the way. So but then of course these jealous officials conspire yeah. yet again uh, against Daniel and um tricked Darius into issuing a, a decree that prohibits prayer to any God or man except the king for thirty mm. days. So it's a it's a bit of a uh, It's a trap, yeah. Yeah. And and it's asserting, you know, uh it's it's Playing on flattery, I guess, for Darius to say, "Oh, why don't we do this and make everyone worship you for thirty days?" Mm. And of course, Darius, who's like most of us, got an element of pride. He goes, yeah. "Oh, that sounds like a good idea," and yeah. uh, so he does issue a he does issue an edict uh, or a law. Um, That's right. And Daniel, to...
0: uh, you know, Daniel then is found praying mm. with the windows open. He's mm. praying, and he's praying towards Jerusalem. Remember the promise in uh, Solomon. You know that you know when my people pray towards this place. So, I mean, he's he's praying towards the east, you know, out of, you know, kind of bringing to mind the promises, yeah. uh, the covenant promises that were made uh, during the- Construction of the temple,
1: and important to note here that Daniel could have shut the doors and blind and still prayed.
0: Yeah, but he but
1: he didn't. It was important he wants to make to a him statement. Exactly, yeah, right. he's making yeah. a statement about his faith and what he believes to be right, and he wanted really as many people to see that as possible. Yeah, uh, that's right. Honesty.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. The king, of course, is grieved because he doesn't want to lose Daniel, and but he's but the the law can't be reversed, and so he is, you know, he has to throw Daniel into this lion's den, which seems to have been some kind of hole, you know, some kind of cave or something uh, that was closed over at the top. Yeah. So he casts, you know, Daniel into this uh, den of lions, uh, leaves him overnight. In the morning. He comes back and he calls out to Daniel and Daniel's fine. And it wasn't that the lions weren't hungry or feeling a bit no, ill that right. night, because mm. when he gets Daniel out, he throws the other officials in and they're consumed uh, bones and all. Uh, mm. well, in, and their in, families in and, their, and, yeah, their, yeah.
1: and their kids. And I think it's important to understand the context of the time Persian custom you know, in a sense, you know, if you if you proclaim something against somebody else and it comes, then you suffer the punishment, yeah, an eye right. for an eye kind of thing. Yeah, and so yeah. it was sort of the Persian custom that if, if you're gonna condemn this person to that fate, then if you're proven wrong, yeah, you're condemned to that fate that's as right. well. So it does it seems harsh. Gee, yeah, that seems a bit harsh, but that was the culture of the time. That's right, and, and uh, that was where you know where we we're living. And in fact, even Judean law to some degree, still because pre Jesus was you mm. know if you read through Leviticus, if
0: this happens, then well, yeah, al- of... although uh, although children could never suffer no, for the lot. So so there's a there, there are very key differences. differences. So there's still. There's still uh, re- retributive justice to yes. some extent, but it's never true. They really put uh, boundaries around that so that children yeah, could not no, suffer for the sins on. of the parents. Now, you know, uh, it's interesting where this finishes, Stu, because, you know, we have King Darius rod- riding to all the peoples uh, of his kingdom. Mm. And he says, you know, he issues a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear, reverence the God of Daniel. I mean, and then yet again, here, here it is, Stu. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. <laughs> just in case, yeah. just in case, after six chapters, we're not getting the message of the book of Daniel. That's the message of the book of Daniel. So, and, Dan- that- and Daniel kind of stayed on, obviously,
1: to the end of the reign of Darius, and then yeah. even into the reign of Cyrus as well. Yeah, yeah that's uh, right. Subsequent to that, and it's interesting. You know, here's Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who makes the same. Honour to God, you know, yeah. we don't know where that yeah. really landed with him and, and his relationship with God, but, you know, here's a guy going in as an exile into a foreign land, a very powerful nation, yeah. and uh, at this point in time, two of those key leaders have essentially recognised the, oh, yeah, the God of Daniel, it's, it's remarkable.
0: It is remarkable. You know, uh, in in reading this again, big picture, and, and just seeing the sovereignty of God at work through all of these international events, you know, with this people, this humble people have been taken captive, and yet these captives... Their God proves to be sovereign, and I, I I can't help but think of so many examples of history in Christian history where the downtrodden and the persecuted, uh, I mean during the Roman Empire, the Christian church that was regularly persecuted, like really badly persecuted by you know the early three hundreds they were a blessed and people that filled the empire so much so that the emperor's mother is a Christian and you know then the emperor becomes a Christian. and so you've got these moments in, in history where despite everything against them God through his people is showing himself so absolutely sovereign I mean yeah. another famous story is the conversion of the Vikings you know that that, that you know the Vikings were converted through their slaves. That they took, you know, they took Christian slaves, and through the slaves, um, uh, you know, the Vikings came to faith in Christ, and so you know, this is this is a God who doesn't need the weapons of this world; He doesn't need to use worldly power because He has divine power to rule over all of the earth and all of the kingdoms, and ultimately, the message of the Book of Daniel is that He is sovereign over history, and His kingdom will prevail in the end. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive.